Chapter 37, Nesson's Newcomer Nesson closed the door behind him, staring at the stranger on the other side of the room. He was short, barely over five feet tall, and quite heavy-set, with thin blonde hair combed over, and he was dressed in a rust-coloured suit and pants. Martin thought he looked to be in his early to mid-sixties. The man stared back at Martin Nesson, and though he was significantly shorter than Nesson, he was still quite intimidating. Can... I'm sorry, but can I help you? Martin tried politely. I don't think I've had the pleasure of meeting you before. The man only looked back at him, seeming almost bored as he peered out the window behind him, looking over the city below. Yet still the man said nothing. Martin wondered why the man had bothered to come here at all if he wasn't interested in talking to him. But then, without warning, the man turned around and spoke. Mr. Nesson, my name is Rupert Cranley. I believe we spoke on the phone multiple times, in fact, if I remember correctly. The man watched as recognition washed over Nesson's face, then relief, and then confusion. Mr. Cranley, of course. But what are you doing here? Have you... He trailed off. You haven't located Perry, have you? And Marcus Ingram? I'm afraid not, Mr. Nesson. Not yet, anyway. I've only just arrived this morning, Cranley said. But soon enough, I'll begin the pursuit. For the time being, I'd like to hear everything you know about Perry Penderwinkle, Marcus Ingram, and any and all interactions you've had with each of them. And then we can discuss the woman. What's her name again? Philippa, sir. Her name's Philippa. Don't know her last name, I'm afraid. Nesson offered apologetically. I can help you that one, Mr. Nesson. It's one you already know. Ingram, revealed Cranley. Ingram? Like Marcus Ingram? Nesson questioned, dumbfounded. Philippa Ingram, Cranley responded. Sister of Marcus. It seems she came to the States some months back, not too long before Marcus escaped from prison. We didn't know this, of course, until you called and told me about her. His sister? So they're working together, then, Marcus and Philippa? It would seem so, Cranley said. I know where she lives. I've been to her apartment, and I've got an address for Marcus, too. I suspect his place is where they're keeping Perry. Her place is too small. I would have seen him while I was there, but Marcus's place, that's where I think Perry is being held, Martin explained excitedly. Very good, Mr. Nesson. That will be most helpful. I must admit I've been to New York a number of times, but only ever in the same 30 or 40 block radius of Midtown Manhattan. Having you accompany me will, I think, make things much easier, he said. Martin Nesson gulped. He did not like the sound of this. It sounded as if this man was expecting Nesson to accompany him on his mission to find Marcus Ingram and Perry Penderwinkle. I'm sorry, Mr. Cranley. I can give you their addresses if it's all the same to you, and it's not, Cranley said sternly. You're coming with me. Please, Mr. Cranley, I've just finally gotten myself free of this whole mess. The last thing I want is to go back there. Free? You're deluding yourself, Mr. Nesson. What? You thought one call to me would make all your problems go away? You didn't seriously think that you could go on as if none of this ever happened? Not to mention the fact that you've come back to work, a place that Marcus Ingram is all too familiar with. You're lucky I found you first, Cranley scolded. But you're here now. Can't I just go to a motel or something and wait it out until you bring them in? What use could I be to you anyway? Nesson questioned. 
Mr. Nesson, let me make this abundantly clear. Until Marcus and Philippa Ingram are apprehended, you are not safe. Not here, not in some motel, and not anywhere. If you want to be free of this whole mess, then the best thing you can do is stick close to me, which means coming with me to find the Ingrams and, hopefully, Perry Penderwinkle. Martin Nesson was crestfallen. He seemed to have no choice in the matter. Maybe it was the lack of sleep, maybe the culmination of all the stress of the last few days, or maybe it was the thought of facing Marcus and Philippa Ingram again. Whatever it was, Martin Nesson just wanted to cry, and so he did. He stood there, face in his hands, weeping, sobbing uncontrollably as Mr. Cranley watched in baffled silence. The man did not console him, nor did he try to stop him from crying, but merely stood there. After a couple of minutes, when no more tears would come, his head beginning to ache and a steady stream of snot running down his face, Martin Nesson ceased his blubbering and looked back at Mr. Cranley, whose stern face stared back without sympathy. Are you finished, Martin? he asked. Nesson sniffled as he used his sleeve to wipe a bit of snot from his face, just able to stammer out, Yes, yes, Mr. Cranley, I'm all finished. Very good, he said, though he did not seem at all satisfied by Nesson's response. Have a car parked downstairs. We'll leave at once. Mr. Cranley, wasting no time, walked around the desk and over to the office door, holding it open as he gestured for Nesson to exit with him. Reluctantly, and with a growing sense of dread, Martin Nesson left his office with Mr. Cranley, took the elevator to the lobby, and exited out onto the street. Well, he thought, here we go again. Chapter 38, Perry's Patience Marcus Ingram was sipping a cup of coffee as he sat in a simple wooden chair not three feet from the identical chair where Perry Penderwinkle sat. But unlike Ingram, Perry's hands were tied behind him, secured to the back of the chair. It seemed the day of interrogation had finally come, as both of them knew it would. Perry had been in Marcus's position too many times to count throughout his long career in the service. He knew how this game worked. He knew the tactics, the strategies, the rules of engagement. And though Perry had been caught and interrogated only twice before, he would not be an easy nut to crack. Marcus, whether he knew it already or not, would not win this match. Perry knew, however, that there was little hope of his own escape at this point, and so it seemed to Perry that this match would have no winners. Ingram took another sip of his coffee while Penderwinkle sat in silence. He took another drink as he examined Perry Penderwinkle as if for the first time. The man seemed older, more frail than he'd remembered. The sleepless nights, disheveled hair, and clothes now stained with sweat and dirt, not to mention the days sitting in darkness. All of this had taken its toll on Penderwinkle. He seemed small, almost pathetic, as he sat tied to his chair in this basement in far-out Brooklyn. He was a man out of his depth for once, and it was nice to see him knock down a few pegs. Penderwinkle looked up lazily at his captor and finally broke the silence. Well, Marcus, did you come down so I could watch you drink your morning coffee, or is there something else? I really am quite busy today, he said sarcastically. 
Marcus grimaced, clearly unamused by Perry's sarcasm. He took two more big gulps, emptying the cup of its contents, and then set it on the floor. Perry, I'm sure you've already set it in your mind that you're not going to cooperate, but I urge you to reconsider. This could all go much more quickly and be a lot easier for you if you'd cooperate. I'd hate for this to be how we end things, old friend, Marcus tried in a conciliatory tone. Penderwinkle rolled his eyes, unconvinced. Let's cut the charade, Marcus. You've no intention of letting me leave this place of my own accord after your little interrogation, so stop blowing smoke up my ass. Ask your questions if you'd like and let's be done with it. I can't promise my cooperation, but you already know that. And as for endings, our friendship ended the day Marjorie was murdered, Perry said with finality. Yes, Marjorie, Marcus began. That's a good place to start, I think. I'll start by stating what I've already stated many times before. I did not kill her, Perry, and I had nothing to do with her death. Still sticking to that story, then, are you? Perry retorted, showing some annoyance. Drunk beyond reason, couldn't remember anything from that night, and yet you were the one found in our apartment, holding the gun moments after she had been shot to death. You'll forgive me if I'm a bit sceptical, Marcus. Marcus glared at him. You and everyone else. I can't blame people for thinking me the most logical choice. There I was, standing over the dead body holding the smoking gun, quite literally. Open and shut case, they said. My lawyers told me to confess. Say I'd done it and maybe I'd get a better sentence. Never had a fair shake in court, did I? To be honest, I don't even think my lawyers thought me innocent, confessed Marcus. Perry sat silently, listening to Marcus's version of the story, the one he'd told over and over again since his arrest. Perry could have recited portions of the story nearly verbatim. He'd heard it so many times. It worried Penderwinkle, the man's insistence on his own innocence. It worried him more that he had brought Perry here, still insisting he was telling the truth. What did Marcus have up his sleeve? He would not have come all this way just to plead his case, to profess his innocence again. No, there was something else. Marcus must think Perry could help him somehow. But that was the last thing Perry Penderwinkle planned on doing. Chapter 39 Martin's Mate Though he had not looked forward to getting in another stranger's car and driving all the way back out to Brooklyn, Martin found himself less put out by this trip. For starters, Mr. Cranley was not a chain smoker, and his car did not reek of stale cigarettes. In fact, his car smelled like it had been freshly cleaned, and it was far nicer than Philippa's Buick LeSabre. This was a Cadillac, with leather seats, plenty of legroom, and someone at the wheel whose driving did not scare the living daylights out of Martin Nissen. In short, the driving conditions could have been worse. Only ten minutes before they had passed into Brooklyn, as Mr. Cranley insisted on stopping at a deli for coffee and bagels before they left Manhattan. The man even paid for Nissen's food and coffee, but now they were back on the road and Cranley continued peppering Nissen with questions about his previous interactions with Marcus and Philippa Ingram. He asked for a description of Philippa's apartment, her car, 
her appearance, anything and everything Nesson could tell Cranley about her. At the moment, he was going over their trip up to Bernadette Treese's apartment, which Nesson had just remembered to mention. And you say she was able to get into the apartment. How? A key? Did she break in? Cranley asked, with great interest. The second. She, she broke in. Picked the lock, it looked like, answered Nesson. But Bernie wasn't there. You never saw her. And you didn't wait for her to see if she'd return? Cranley was asking. Well, no. She never showed up. But then her apartment looked as if she'd not been there in a few days. It was strange, as if she'd suddenly left and then never come back. There was food left out on the counter like she was making lunch, as I said. But it had spoiled when I saw it, said Nesson. So what did you do? inquired Cranley. Philippa was searching the apartment. She found some folders she thought were interesting from Bernie's study. Philippa said there were files on Perry and on his wife's death. I told Philippa about the spoiled food and she agreed that Dotrice likely hadn't been around for days. But I guess she found what she wanted, so we left and headed back to her apartment in Brooklyn, Nesson said. And by your best estimation, did she seem genuinely surprised to find her gone? What was her reaction? Cranley asked. I guess I wasn't trying to read her reactions that closely then, but I do think she was surprised. She seemed very unsettled by the idea that this woman had disappeared. I don't know why exactly. Maybe she was afraid Bernadette was on to Marcus, knew he was in New York. But also there was, I think, the idea that this woman knew Perry, and it seemed that she and Perry had spoken in the last few days, mused Nesson. Yes, this is interesting. Cranley agreed. What had they spoken about, I wonder? And where has she mysteriously disappeared to? Quite the inconvenient time for her to go missing, don't you think? I suppose so, yes. Do you think Marcus Ingram had anything to do with her disappearance? If she has disappeared, that is, said Nesson. I certainly wouldn't put it past him. But then, wouldn't Philippa already be in the know? In which case, why would she make the trip up to his apartment and put on this whole charade with you? Unless there are things that Marcus is keeping from his sister, said Cranley. Oh, this is all so convoluted. None of this makes much sense to me, said Nissen as they turned off a side street, headed up the entry ramp, and merged onto the highway's southbound lane. Yes, I'm afraid I agree with you, and that's what worries me, Cranley said. An ominous tone in his voice as he continued to keep his eyes on the road ahead.